2: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I've got people make friends. I'm just trying to make you a little money. It's my job, not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, call me at 1-800-743-CBC, or tweet me at Jim Kramer. A mega cap company doesn't get to stay a mega cat company unless it's indispensable and brilliantly managed with spectacular balance sheet and tremendous prospects, all of which we seem to forget at the drop of any bearish head. Right now, there's a big strike over to NASDAQ, a buyer strike, frankly, where the most beloved and respected companies, the mega cat nation states of technology, have. Something going out of style. Oh, we saw it again today with the Dow advancing 57 points, SP dipped 0.32%. But the NASDAQ, where the mega caps all live, it tumbled 0.89%. <laughs> so, so, so. <laughs> it all starts with Apple, oh, as it often does, the $2.78 trillion market capitalization entity that's arguably the most admired business on earth. The stock's been clobbered after reports about how there may be an iPhone office ban for Chinese government and state-sponsored entity employees. If true, it could be real hit to earnings, no doubt about it. But remember, China could be opaque, fickle, and capricious. I want to focus on the knee-jerk reaction to the story, though, because it's typical of the action in the mega caps. Not just Apple, but also Amazon, Alphabet, Tesla, NVIDIA, Meta Platforms, and to a lesser extent, Microsoft. See, everybody's always so eager to panic out of these great stocks that it's all too easy for a couple of lightly sourced headlines to trigger a torrent of selling. Sell, 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 sell with no buyers anywhere to be found. Okay, all right, maybe a little exaggerated, but you don't see a gigantic stock slip from just under 190 to 177 in just a couple of days when lots of people are eager to buy it, do you? Let's take this Apple situation headlongs. I know you care about it so much. When a story broke over two days that China might be banning iPhones and government offices on day one, and then on day two, the offices of state-sponsored entities, lots of companies there, the sellers came like a wave rolling over a sandcastle. Nobody I know, bothered to check whether the stories were written in stone or even true. They sold first, sell, sell, sell. And then maybe they asked some questions. Why is it like this? All right, here's what I surmise is the reality behind the selling. First, Apple's market cap is now nearly $2.8 trillion. It's down about $300 billion from where it was at the end of July. But it's the decline's logical, given that the stock had overshot itself. was it's up more than 50% for the year in its highs in July. So many traders believe it deserved to come down. Deserved. They say it should never have been that high in the first place. I hate that kind of a pseudo-analysis. Two, China's the only real growth engine, traders believe. So if you take it away, Apple's earnings will collapse. Totally untrue, but they don't care. Finally, most damning, and the one we really got to talk about, the endless skeptics who have been wrong the whole way up, Grab the mic. these are the ones that tell us that Apple's a company that doesn't have any growth in any way. So why would you own it to begin with? Now, you know me. I say own Apple, don't trade it. I didn't change my mind. I don't know where or when the stock will bottom, but I know this. I'm a huge fan of the facts. And I don't know the facts about China. Sure, if Apple loses China like the State Department did unexpectedly in 1949, there's going to be a hit to earnings. But why doesn't anyone else publicly say that, you know what? Maybe Tim Cook, the CEO, can come up with something that offers a compromise. Given that Apple's one of the largest employers in China and the country needs all the employment it can get. We forget that China once our dominant trading partner is now behind Mexico and Canada. We just learned that Chinese exports to the world just dropped 8.8% in August from a year ago. I know the Chinese government may be upset with the alleged hardline stance expressed by US Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo after her recent trip. Remember, she was just on our show. She's talking about building high fences in small neighborhoods, that neighborhood basically is national security. That said, I, the PRC banning iPhones for government employees doesn't help solve their youth unemployment problem, does it? It's over 20%, or at least it was before they stopped issuing that number because it was too weak. You don't drive off a great employer like Apple when your economy's falling apart. More important, I bring up my acerbic view because I don't have enough fingers and toes to count how many times I've heard that the best days of Apple's growth are behind them. It's true that there hasn't been a lot of growth lately. No one's dismissing that. The numbers tell you that. What do you do? Like, the numbers don't lie. But growth years always come in spurts related to new iPhone releases. And if you sell the stock at this moment, please don't forget that you are selling ahead of one. You're also selling it in spite of a bountiful and growing service revenue stream, including new programs, new apps, new content, including some very exciting U.S. soccer, and new ideas you never heard of now, but I predict you'll want so much that it'll be painful not to have them. In other words, Apple can reinvent itself in another way if China somehow becomes problematic because not that not its excellent phones is how it got to be a three trillion dollar business in the first place. It's a great technology company. I don't want to just single out Apple, though. Think about it. There have been so many times when it's failed to hit its search revenues or earnings. But out of nowhere, you have this first a gigantic franchise in YouTube and then an amazing offering in cloud infrastructure. Alphabet simply is not a static entity. Amazon used to be a bookstore, just books. I remember visiting Borders almost two decades ago in Ann Arbor, where their headquarters was, and they were discussing how they could fend off Amazon. I mean, does Borders even exist? Then Amazon went to music, then general merchandise. Then they basically invented cloud computing with their Amazon Web Services, and, and then they got into advertising. Every one of these, at one time or another, has been questioned as running out of gas. I've done some of that questioning myself, but the critics wrong. Tesla's been buried so many times, we need a new television show, NCI Cemetery, to get to the bottom of where it's buried. But has anyone noticed the endless reinvention by Elon Musk and the incredible worldwide success of this man, who's been doubted at almost every turn? Tesla was supposed to have gone back a half dozen times. Or how about Meta? It hurts to talk about the colossal failure uh, Mark Zuckerberg has had with this metaverse. Pure secondhand embarrassment, at least for the moment, only to watch him keep spending money on it. While pivoting, though, back to the lucrative Instagram business and the fledgling of Reels, their TikTok killer. But the pivot, it's working. I know the Secretary Raimondo once said that if you ban TikTok, you'll have a hard time getting the vote of the under-35 crowd forever. I wish she had not said that. I mean, admittedly, it's a fair point then, but why not just say, OK, and that's why we should all go to Reels? Meta change, Zuckerberg change. The only mega cap that's never seriously been denigrated, frankly, is Microsoft. Perhaps that's because it's such an amazing, plain old franchise that was already challenged by the government over 20 years ago. Maybe it's because Microsoft is such an incredible cloud computing business, Azure. But you know what? It wasn't always like that. When I first met the brilliant CEO, Satya Nadella, he was telling me, or selling me, frankly, that one day his cloud business could be $18 $18 billion a year. We were walking down the streets. It could be $18 billion a year. I was like, yeah, please. I mean, come on. I was highly skeptical. As I was doing about half of that money at the time, it didn't seem to be important to anyone else at the company other than this guy. Black t-shirt telling me $18 billion. Oh, yes, sure. Anyway, the company's intelligent cloud business, which includes Azure and a couple of other services and enterprise business, is now a $90 billion business, not eighteen. 90. Oh, and don't get me started about NVIDIA, which is for ages, was dismissed as just some gaming chip company. Before ChatGPT, I was screaming for the rooftops, and you know this, that this $100 billion business is something special, something to hold. Now that NVIDIA is a trillion-dollar company, I'm finally hearing good things about artificial intelligence. Thanks for nothing. At every turn, we hear doubts. We're informed of the mistakes, the investigations, the departures, the poor releases, the shortfalls, the disappointments. Do we ever hear about the wins? I'm not saying this is the NFL, which starts by, the way, tonight on NBC, Lions playing the Chiefs, but I'm sure it has occurred to 95% of you that the Chiefs are a better team. They are the dynastic under Coach Andy Reid and the quarterback Patrick Mahomes. Why can't we ever accord any of the companies I just talked about with the same status? Bottom line, if Detroit somehow triumphs over the Chiefs, we may have some short-term fears, but anyone who thinks that the Chiefs' best days are now behind them, they should be run out on a rail never fly in sports but somehow we put up with it constantly in the business media and all it does is hurt you as an investor something I try hard not to do every night when I come out here let's go to Bill Massachusetts please Bill hey Jimbo how are you today uh, I'm doing well how about your partner what's going on Ah, fantastic. Uh, I've been following A Matt, and uh,
3: I know before we, this is my fourth call with you, and I love how I'm always able to connect with you. It's incredible
2: this call. I love that, man. Uh, I love that. I like talking to people. I don't the other I guys don't. It. I mean, I walked up from here to get a haircut over at Eddie's. I stopped by a lot of people They talk and take the picture. Why not? I mean, I'm like, I can't believe anyone cares. Take a picture with me. It's fantastic. go ahead, I'm sorry. I lost Bill. I talk too much about what Bill. I, I didn't even get to answer his question. He, he's probably somebody's four-time only. Uh, Justin in West Virginia, please. Justin. I'd hey, Kramer, how are you night. doing? All right. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for taking
1: my call. It's an honor to speak to you. Oh, thank hey, you. I've, I've got an uh, oil and a natural gas pipeline company that I'm just totally confused about, and I see a lot of good things with it, and I also see some red flags. Uh, The stock ticker is uh, ET, and I could uh, really use your help. Energy
2: transfer and Kelsey Warren, I used to be very critical of it, but you know what? He's put together a mega cap pipeline business that is doing quite well, throws off a lot of cash, the 9% yield. They can pay it, and I got to tell you, in the end. All right, let's go to Edward in Texas, please, Edward. Hey, it's Edward in Dallas, 107 degrees. Is McDonald's equally hot, or is it a buy, sell, or hold? man, I'm so stunned because the Cowboys calling me. It's like hard. I mean, I'm trying to process it. You know, Pollard. I mean, I don't, geez, Mike Parsons. That guy. Um, McDonald's is a really good stock and there was a very good recommendation this morning which tells me uh, that this is done and it's been in the wilderness for a long time. At 278. I am actually very, very bullish on it and I think you should buy it and thank you for the call even though you are from Dallas. Although I am going down there to watch that game because it's Sunday on, yes, NBC. The issues facing the Maycaps caps might be troubling right now, but anyone who thinks this group Best days behind him. You're kidding yourselves. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, Lululemon has stretched higher after earnings. Can the rally keep running? Don't sweat it. <laughs> I'm going to give you my take. Then as investors continue to fret over the potential upper higher interest rates, you know what? I'm taking the other side of the tree. And it's a stock up close to 20% over the past month. You've probably never even heard of it. I'll reveal the name and whether it's a good prospect when I sit down with the CEO. So stay with Kramer.
0: Visibility at indeed.com/slash madmoney. Just go to indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed.
2: Is Lululemon headed to the moon after that terrific quarter they reported just last week? This one's tricky. For years, Lulu was one of the greatest growth stories around, but then the Fed declared war on inflation two years ago, and this highly priced stock then fell out of favor. From its peak in November of 2021 to its lows in May of last year, the thing lost nearly half of its value, falling from 485 and changed to just over 250. Since then, Lulu's rebounded to the 390s, but the recovery's been very choppy, and the stock remains well off its highs. Some of that's because Lulu's brand of informal athleisure apparel got a big boost during the pandemic, when people could work from home and wear whatever felt comfortable. As COVID receded, they found themselves up against difficult comparisons. didn't help that Lulu shelled out $500 million for Mirror, that's a largely in-home digital fitness play, when that was the first thing to go once the world <laughs> got back to normal people started going back to clubs again. They spent so much time taking this up, but by last, talking this up, and then they, did, they talked to everywhere. But uh, then late last year, they'd already taken a $443 million impairment charge on Mirror. Ouch. Late last year is also when Lululemon started reporting lighter numbers, something the stock price was predicting. This thing got crushed last December after management reported decent results while hitting us with tepid holiday guidance. Then in January, Lou revised that fourth quarter guidance lower still, warning of worse than expected margins, and the stock got hit again. Since then, though, the action's been much more encouraging, with the stock up nearly 25% for the year. And almost 60% from last year's lows. Things started turning around in late March when Movo delivered a better than feared set of numbers. Even their skyrocketing inventory, up 50%, wasn't as bad as management's heinous forecast. In June, we got confirmation that things were going much better. When Lulu gave us a clean, beaten, raised quarter, stock ordered response, then spent the next few months trading sideways. Last week, though, Lulu proved that things are truly better, which is why the stock's now at its highest level since April 2022. So what did we learn from this latest and terrific quarter? And why did it make such a big difference to the stock? And by the way, I was away when this happened. And I said, as soon as I get back, I got to talk about this thing. First and foremost, Lululemon once again beat both sales and earnings expectations, while management raised their full-year forecast for the second straight quarter. But that was just the tip of the iceberg. The deeper you dig, the better it gets. Imagine raised their forecast because business has gotten stronger in North America, even better. It's kept accelerating since the end of the quarter. I always love that when the cadence gets better and better. They're having a great back-to-school season. Asia's a huge source of growth for these guys, so it's good to see the region finally paying off. Yep, these guys are on fire in China, possibly because is too small for the Communist Party to target for retaliation. <laughs> What else? Lululemon's accessories business has turned into an impressive growth driver. Now, this is a hyper-competitive space where they've been able to build strong brand loyalty unlike any other. The best example, Lululemon's belt bag, which is like a more adjustable fanny pack. Somehow, the belt bag caught fire for Lululemon last year and its popularity helped bring in new customers. This time, even though the accessories business was up against tough compares, the company was able to grow belt bags double digits with overall accessories up 44%. Lots of backpacks and small pouches sold as well this quarter. I bet the margins were great for that. But if you me the most impressive aspect of Lululemon's quarter was the insight that we got into the overall health of the business from management's commentary about inventory, which is, remember, the most important factor when it comes to retail. Remember, at the end of last year, inventory levels were up more than 50% year over year. That's every retailer's nightmare. Nobody in this industry wants to be stuck with excess merchandise. that needs to be heavily discounted simply to make room for new stuff. That's what's bedeviling us with the stock of Foot Locker uh, for the CNBC Investing Club. The inventory growth right here at Lulu has slowed to uh, 24% by the end of the first quarter. Management got it for 20% by the end of the second quarter. Those are still ugly numbers. But this time, the Lulu's inventory was only up 14% year over year. Okay, not great, but a heck of a lot better than what they were coming from. And even what management said to expect this quarter, this suggests that there's a lot more demand for the company's merchandise than there was 12 months ago, and they're doing much better than many other apparel companies, including the um, flailing Columbia sportswear. Best of all, Lulu's management expects inventory levels to continue to moderate. They guided for inventory growth in the high single digits to low double digits next quarter. That's very acceptable. The rapidly improving inventory picture means that Lulu doesn't need to rely on as much discounting. The company said that markdowns were actually just flat from the prior year. At the same time, management expects their margins will continue to improve. They raised their full year gross margin forecaster, uh, both from less discounting, also from lower freight costs. We should have figured that there are other things for Lulu bulls to hang their hats on. While many of us see Lulu as a household name, the company still believes that as an opportunity to increase its brand awareness going forward. Magrin says their unaided brand awareness is still only 25% in the United States, and with the exception of the United Kingdom and Australia, only in the single digits internationally. It means they could have a lot more room to grow. Their merchandise seems to sell incredibly well all over the globe. So what do we do now with the stock since it's clearly in a comeback mode? Look, Lululemon is executing at an extremely high level at the moment, and although I'm always hesitant to recommend a stock right after post-earnings pop, I gotta say, I've liked this one for a long time, and I continue to like it now. I love the way they work down their inventory, which was my one major concern nine months ago. I love that their growth accelerated August into back-to-school season. I don't love the stock's valuation. Lulu sells for 32 times this year's earnings estimates, but sometimes you've got to pay up for best to breed. Plus, they're looking to generate 20% earnings growth this year, so it's not totally crazy to pay 32 times earnings from a growth manager's perspective. I have, to, I have to tell you, I find it pretty reasonable. Bottom line, I think it's not too late to get back into Lululemon if you bailed on it at some point over the past few years. The brand seems just as strong as ever. and the last couple of quarters, holy cow, they've gone from they're really about as good as in the whole Business. We know the new quarter's off to a great start, too. And I bet Lulu has a terrific holiday season, especially now their inventories are back at reasonable levels. Again, while the stock isn't cheap, you can justify the price tag. Buy, buy, buy! In an environment where so many retailers are struggling, it's worth paying up for an outfit like Lululemon, which is doing much, much better year over year with management at the top of its game. They have money back after the break.
1: Coming up, what to buy when rates are high. Kramer tours the real estate segment for Hot Properties next.
0: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.
3: From their innovative practice facility
2: Over the past couple months, all sorts of groups have been crushed by this rapid rise in long-term interest rates. The home builders, regional banks, some of the more obvious ones. But you know what else has been put through the meat grinder? The high-yielding dividend stocks, because the bond market competition suddenly got a lot tougher. That goes double for the high-yielding real estate investment trusts. We put a lot of these on, two areas that this market wants no part of. But you know what? It sure feels like long rates are getting close to peaking, which would make these beaten down dividend stocks a lot more enticing. After Fed Chief J-PAL told us he'd proceed carefully with any remaining rate hikes, I'm starting to think we might only get one or two more rate hikes before the Fed calls it a especially since we're already seeing them, a lot of signs of a cooling economy. In fact, it's precisely because the economy is slowing that I think the Fed will soon finish its tightening cycle. And if you believe we're headed for a slowdown coupled with a peak in interest rates, this would be the ideal time to buy some heavily discounted bond market alternative stocks. That's a fancy name, but we're going to focus on real estate investment trusts. See, this is a very battered group. This is a group that investors were already wary of earlier this year. That was thanks to some amorphous concerns about the commercial real estate market, especially for the office category, for understandable reasons. And now with this big run in long rates, there's been a new wave of selling in the REITs to the point where I think it's frankly, come on, compelling entry points. You know there are bargains here when a little hotel REIT, like an alpha called Hersha Hospitality, in which I thought I was the only person that ever heard of it, can get taken private, By a private equity firm at an astonishing nearly 60% premium to where the stock was trading. Highly unusual in every count. When you see deals like that, it means valuations have gotten way too low in the industry. So low that other businesses are eager to do some buy. So let me give you three REIT names that I think can start working here. We're going to start hot. With the most controversial one, Boston Properties, it's an office REIT with a portfolio of buildings in a half dozen cities across the Northeast and West Coast. Why even bother with a company that belongs to the most hated REIT cohort, the office REITs? First, I think the tide may finally have turned towards a return to work. The unemployment rate took higher last month. That gives employers more leverage and leverage is what they need to get workers back in the office. And that's what's happening. At the same time, Boston Properties is top tier buildings, and those are in short supply. So even if office real estate continues to struggle, they're relatively insulated from the pain. I said relatively, but they're insulated. I'm clearly not the only one with the idea, given that Boston Properties has now rallied more than 40% from its lows this past March. However, even after its big bounce since March, the stock remains down roughly 25% from its 52-week high. That certainly intrigued me. Said it, That was almost a year ago. And it still sports a robust 5.9% yield, thanks to the recent pullback. I loved that last quarter. It was terrific. And the conviction a really revered management team had on the conference call, I thought it was winning maybe buy some here and then hope it falls to a lower level where you can buy even more at an entirely higher yield better than you can get from part of the treasury curve yeah we can get it right there fantastic that's one is fun. It's called Vici Properties. Vici, I click, came, I call it, you know, it's like Latin, which mostly owns casino properties, but recently has been diversifying into other types of experiential real estate places, Think golf courses and wellness retreats like Canyon Ranch. Vici is a long time Kramer faith, thanks to its record of outperformance. It was the only beat in the SP 500 that finished in positive territory last year, up 10%. Good sign. This year, the stock's given up a bit of those gains, especially last month. Because of its casino tenants, I've recommended Vici a safe way to play the travel room. And even with more travel worries than we had a few weeks ago, well, uh, we'll note that the Las Vegas trip just had its best month ever in July, I like this one, though, because even with the travel slowdown, Vichy won't necessarily be hurt. They don't run casinos. They're the landlord of the casinos, and nobody expects these tenants to go under. Does it doesn't hurt that the stock now sells for just 14 times next year's estimated funds from operations with a competitive 5% yield. Definitely worth considering on weakness, especially because its foray into wellness is an innate hedge to its core gambling business. Finally, long-term viewers will know this one. The retail REITs have also been hit very hard. And though I'm, I'm tempted, I'm not going to stick my neck out and recommend the riskiest names in this space then think something like Simon Property Group. That's got an enticing 6%, 6.6% yield, but mall oriented. And I think the mall is still challenged. That said, I am willing to stick my neck out for Federal Realty, which specializes in mixed use properties in high end first ring suburbs across the wealthy metropolitan areas on both the East and West Coast. These mixed use properties consist of some office and residential properties, but most of the portfolio is retail the shopping center kind, which is why Federal Realty stock gets slammed whenever people are worrying about the retail REITs. I always like Federal Realty, primarily because of its unique, uh, uniquely suburban footprint. The suburban focus makes this stock a good option for anyone who's not as optimistic about an urban recovery as I am. I still believe in cities, but maybe not as much as I believe in Federal Realty. I love the specific tenant list. Federal Realty's top tenant is Kramer Fabe TJX, and that is, by the way, a travel trust name. It's an off price chain that thrives in regular stores who are suffering. Well, guess what? That's what's happening. Plus, this company's a model of consistency. Federal Realty has raised its dividend for 56 consecutive years, currently the longest annual dividend increase in the REIT industry. That makes it much easier to stay constructive on the stock, even when its subsector goes out of style at the Wall Street fashion show. At this point, Federal Realty now sells for less than 15 times this year's expected funds from operations. Remember, that is the real metric to gauge the health of a REIT. Plus, it's still got a solid 4.5% dividend yield, another compelling choice for anyone who thinks long-term interest rates might peak soon, allowing money to flow back into these bond market equivalent stocks as long as the bankable Don Wood stays at the helm. So there you go. Three contrarian ideas for investors who think we might be approaching a peak in interest rates. Again, I'm not calling for that immediately. I just think it will happen sooner rather than later. And that's what matters. Bottom line, whenever the high for rates is put in, I believe the beaten down real estate investment trust will rebound. Because that's what usually happens when you're coming out of a tightening cycle. It's just history, people. Consider them out of favor stocks that can potentially come back in vogue in a heartbeat. The moment the Fed realizes that they're winning the war against inflation. I want to take calls. I want to go to Bob in Texas. Bob. Hello, Jim.
1: Hey, Bob, how are NPW, you? I the medical property REIT, at $16 per share. Since then, it's been hammered down. And with the dividend <sighs> cut, I'm at about 3% on my cost basis. At present, it's paying around 8%. Should I buy more or avoid no, altogether? No, we,
2: we're not going to buy. I mean, we have been struggling with this mightily, um, especially with the charitable trust. You know, I had a call on this the other day, and I didn't realize they had just cut the dividend. I said, wow, what happened to the stock? Well, yeah, they cut the dividend. No, you we we don't want to buy more. I mean, so that'd be throwing good money after bad, sir. And I just can't count on this. I'm sorry. I just can't. Let's go to Levon in Kentucky, please. Le'Von. Uh, Kramer, I'd like to ask you about the stock sample, RCE. R-S-C. I I do know that sir No stock. sir RC Oh RC I'm sorry So um okay just a second just a second Um yeah, okay, so this is a company where I couldn't figure out what they actually own, which is the problem. They are, when I see real estate financing, this is a very important term, people. It means we don't really know what they own. When I see residential mortgage and small business enterprise loans, we don't know what those loans are like. I cannot take that responsibility. I can't say the loans are good. That's a sucker's game. I don't want you to own it. I'm going to Arnold right now in New York. Arnold. Hey, Jim, thanks for taking my call. Long time, first time. Oh, thank Pulling you. Pulling castle. You know, this Great is incredible. I, you know, we got out of the stock for the trust in like the 170s, 180s. We had a really nice hit. And then the stock's dropped like a stone. This, a lot of that is because of interest rates going higher. But a lot of it is because people are worried that the, that Verizon and ATT are, have such bad balance sheets that, frankly, they can't be called upon, they can't be dependent upon to be able to put up more towers. So I think you have to stay away, even down here with a 6% yield. All right, leads of all shapes and sizes might be out of favor right now, but if you think interest rates are going to peak sometime soon, then now is the time to start beating, buying the beaten down group. And you know I do like that federal Realty specimen. There's much more mad money ahead. After the IPO boom of 2021, I'm buying one higher quality story that separates itself from the past and Apple shares are lower today after several reports indicated Beijing will expand its iPhone ban to state-owned corporations although I'm not even sure there's a ban at all but I will break down the implications and of course all your calls Rapid Fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round so stay with Kramer Let's talk about a relatively unknown stock that caught fire of late, rallying 49% in roughly the last four months. It's called Clearwater Analytics. This is a company that makes software that helps with accounting, reporting, and analytics for professional investors. Something that can be a lot more complicated than it sounds like because there are all sorts of securities that don't have a normal market price. Steady growth, healthy margins, I like that. One of the rare IPOs from the class of 2021 that's withstood the test of time. Earlier today, Clearwater held their first ever investor day right here at the New York Stock Exchange. Very exciting for a company that does that, okay? So let's go straight to the source with Sandeep Sahai, and he is the CEO of Clearwater Analytics to learn more. Mr. Sahai, welcome to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. All right, so a lot of people have not heard of your company, so if you can explain where you stand in the food chain and why you are so important to your customers.
5: Absolutely. So our customers are large institutions like insurers, corporate clients, and asset managers. And they obviously, as you know, have large pools of money. What do you think they do? They go out and try and generate a return from that. And the way, the way they do that is they invest in stocks, but also bonds, mortgages, real estate, derivatives, and they also invest around the world. Hard to value. Yes. And so what happens is every morning, you are the chief investment officer, and you have to make a call about what do I invest, what do I not invest. So let me personalize it a little. Let's talk about you. You have an asset base of let's say 10 or 100 billion, some right. number. What's your position today? I guess you don't know. You have to call up five of your money managers, look into your checking account and your savings Absolutely, account. Absolutely, that's what you have to together, do. And the reason you don't do it is because you don't make day-to-day decisions about your portfolio. But that can't, doesn't work for a chief investment officer of an insurance company. Every day they have to decide what to sell, what to buy. We provide a single pane of glass across the world, across all asset classes, hard to value, easy to value, doesn't matter, and we give them a view every morning, 9 o'clock.
2: Okay, but isn't that something that uh, Larry Fink, who works at at, uh, BlackRock, he offers a product called Aladdin that I think is a very good product. Are you similar in competitors? Because that's a very big company.
5: Aladdin is, firstly, a good product. I think pretty highly of them. They have been mostly focused on the asset management industry. Our business is a lot more, firstly, on the asset owner community, so insurance companies and corporates, and also REITs, sovereign funds, and pensions. I saw you,
2: Urban Outfitters. There, Spotify is there, right? I mean, these are are, are our customers. uh, Garmin, real companies.
5: When a company goes public, Jim, most of them come onto our platform. So. Uber, Lyft, Zillow, Robinhood, Apple, mm. Cisco, you name them, when they go public, they suddenly have cash, right. which they give to many managers to manage. Someone's got to give them a single plane of glass, and that's us. I mean, BlackRock is actually a good client of ours. Ah. But the point is that they provide more of the front office functionality right. team, the trading part. We do things which are accounting, compliance, risk, and regulatory report well, when
2: I was a head fund manager, I was always afraid, I mean, of course, I was always worried about whether my clients felt I was giving them honest valuations. Yes. Yes. Uh, I also have to believe that the SEC wants yes. to see honest yes. valuations, is that maybe it would be a good housekeeping seat of approval. I said, listen, we got these from Clearwater. We didn't make these yes. up.
5: Uh, absolutely. And we can give them a comprehensive global view. So what matters for us, Jim, is you could have some asset in Europe which blows up. Right. And if you don't aggregate that every day and bring it together, you're not going to get the right picture from a risk point of view, Jim. You have covered companies here which have just blown up in one part of the world. People didn't even know they had exposure. Our clients see their exposure every day and right. that's what we give them.
2: Now, uh, you have talked about artificial intelligence. Everyone kind of does. What I've been yes. telling people is, please tell me how it helps the client and please tell me how it helps your bottom line because an amorphous artificial intelligence, I can't have that anymore. People <laughs> say, Jim, tell us how it helps the client.
5: Okay, and that, that is a lot of our investor day today was because of that, for that. So look, is it a totally disruptive technology? Yes, but everybody's saying that, where's the proof? Show me what it can do. So if you think about us, we get data from 2,800 sources a day. And a lot of them don't add up. So we have 200 people who reconcile this on a daily basis and they use their knowledge. Guess what, Jenny, I can do, Jim. You point them to the 10 million reconciliations you have done oh. over the last 10 years. And Jenny, I can come and give you an answer about, you know what, Jim, this is the potential right answer. I think the danger is people try and say AI will replace humans. Not the right answer. Think about them as being human in the loop, producing and enhancing the efficiency of the reconciler. Let's say you're a client. Just one more, and I'll get off this artificial intelligence. No, piece. no. no you're important. a client. You want to understand your book yield of an asset hard to value security. Right. And you're trying to find out how that happened. Guess what? AI could do that in minutes compared to taking hours of research and coming out the land.
2: Now, we, we talk about this uh, large language uh, yes. issue. Is it possible that uh, you, a manager, can just speak to a machine, basically, not have to have a code person come in and have lots of different expensive people who don't generate revenue?
5: Yeah. So I would just, I would just watch for one thing. I think it does have some problems. And therefore, the moment you say that the machine should replace humans, it's a little bit trickier. But if you say can it make humans 70, 80% more efficient, that is easy. And from your vantage point, what does that do to our cost structure? If I can improve my cost structure such a meaningful amount, why do you care? Why do you want humans to be out of the loop and put all that risk in a system? Don't forget, Jim, we do investment accounting. Right. So we can't take this lightly that the machine is mostly right. No, no, no. We need the human in the loop to be right every time. I'm glad
2: you said that. A lot of people just seem that it's just run by the machines. We can't have that. Okay. Humans are who we need and you're doing the job. And I really think it's great that you had your analyst day and you've got to spread the story because it's actually not as difficult as people realize once they understand that these are multi-billion dollar institutions. Okay. So they've got to have the numbers right. Okay, that's Sandeep Sahai is the CEO of Clearwater Analyst. First analyst, day, by the way, they are very comprehensive and open about what they do. And it's all available in what we call the DECK. Stay with me.
1: Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast-fire lightning round, next.
2: It is time to time cover the light round. It's, rock. it's time to cover the lightning round. It's time to cover the lightning and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Dad? Time for the lightning round. conversation. I'm starting with Brian in New Jersey. Brian! Jim, Booyah from uh, from the Garden State, your home state. Um, um, you bet it has is. I have a question about in particular stocks. So trading lower, gotten some bad press lately for the past few weeks. Um, it's actually at a close to a three-year low if it's not there now. But there is a small short interest ratio, only, only a little bit more than 2%. I want to know if it's a good buying opportunity. My stock is Norfolk Southern. Okay, you just to by Norfolk Southern, the C- cheapest I've seen in a very long time. I would buy, let's say, wanted to buy two hundred shares. I'd buy 50 right here, and then I would wait, literally point, I'd say about a quarter percent down, and then buy again, 50-50. Just keep buying. those. I don't think it's going to get down all that way. That's how you have to buy it, though, in stages. I want to go to Joe in Pennsylvania. Joe.
0: Joe. Hey, Jimmy. This is Joe from Pennsylvania. My son and I both own shares of SoFi uh, Technologies, and we wanted to get your thoughts on... Oh, okay. On, uh, I like it. Now, I remember when it,
2: was at four, it was at $4 when we met with Anthony Noto at the CNBC terrific CEO conference. $4, and looked me in the eye and said, what do you think? He said, we're going higher. It's right. Stock has doubled. Uh, I think it has more further to go. I like the fact that they're in start deal. Which is coming Monday. It could be a good deal, by the way. Let's go to Rich in California. Rich! Hey, what's up, Jim? Uh, what's going on, Rich? Got a question. Got a question of Vinfast, the Vietnamese uh, EV no, company. No, no, no. This hey. is not a company you want to be involved with. This Vinfast, I don't like anything about it. Not a lot of cars So Please stay away from this. It's the kind of thing that should not be public. And I'm a huge fan of the country that it's from, but not that deal. Let's go to Alex in Massachusetts. Alex. Jim, Bo- first time caller. Love your show. All right. Hey, your ego's kind watching from Bill Bell defense Sunday. We have big games. it. Watch. what are your thoughts on Live Nation Entertainment? Socks come down. Sox come down nicely. I'm a big fan of Mike Rapino, but I will tell this. Mike Rapino used to come on the show. And if he comes on the show and we talk about how he's doing, I would feel a lot better than just saying, hey, it's fine. He used to be a business owner. We want him back on. Maybe we even see him next week. That would be great. Jason in Wisconsin. Jason. Hello, Jim. Uh, thank you so much for
4: having me on. Big booyah you from the
2: great state of Wisconsin. Oh, I love Wisconsin. My this son Kipton Ah, thank you so much, Jim. Uh, my son Kipton, wanted me to give you a call back. He wants to know. Back in February of 2023, you spoke with Patty Poppy about an awesome company, PG and E. He wants to know if he has some horse sense. What are your thoughts on PC? That kid's got horse yeah. sense, absolutely. And I want him in the stock right here, right now. Patty Poppy's got what I call. Game. Let's go to Monty in California. Monty. Hey, Jim. Bouillon, on you. you Monty. To you about... hey, sure. I got a question for you about Arrowhead Pharmaceuticals. I know you've had the president's CEO, Chris Anzalone, on about three years ago. Um, since then, the company's really advanced the pipeline into a double-digit state, about 12 uh, indications. we've got to get uh, them back on, man, because, you know, I'm not uh, recommending of- any stocks that are losing money. That's my problem, is i got to find out more, because I've had a ban on stocks that are losing money. It's too hard out here. I'm going to go to Chris in Illinois now. Chris!
4: Hey, Jim, uh, let's go Eagles, and how about go American back. Electric Power? What's your thoughts?
2: Okay, four and a quarter is right where I want to buy it, but more important, that one, Julie Slope back on. Your know, Nick Aikens used to come on every quarter. It's time for Julie to come on because we've been a big supporter of AAP, and it's down very big from its 52-week high, 105 all the way down to 77, and that's because of rates, not because of AAP. How about we go to Riley in Texas? Riley. Booyah, ski-daddy. What's happening, man? Mr. Mad Money, Jimmy Chill, Reverend Jim Bob, can I get your expert opinion on AEHR? Oh man, this is a test and measurement. And for test and measurement, I always go for Agilent. I'm sorry, I've got just a, I'm high bound. Let's go to Mike in Illinois, please. Mike. Hey, how you doing, Jimmy Chill? Not bad. The showman's fine. What you doing, Mike? I'm uh, driving into Chicago to go see the Cubs. I wish you good luck. I like you know, on the Bears franchise. I drafted a bear last night. I haven't done that in a long time, but it turned out you own a small restaurant. It's looking okay season three. What's happening? <laughs> What's happening is uh, one of the world's largest IT consulting companies, Accenture, curious Buy seller hold. You know what? Julie, Julie Sweet is so good. She's the CEO, and it is just such a good company, and people don't even know what they do. They help you figure out how to deal with technology. They're digitizers. I need to go to Haraj in California, Haraj. Booyah, Professor Kramer. First time caller, long time listener. All righty. Thank you for everything for us home gamers. I want to
5: ask you about... Uh, Alnalem Pharmaceuticals.
2: I'll tell you, they are losing money so much. I can't go for it. Twenty-five billion comes just losing too much money. We're gonna have to stay away. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the lightning round.
1: Coming up: Did China miss a trade opportunity, or are they happily headed toward isolation? Kramer digs deep next. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day was squawk on the street. Live from post nine at the NYSE.
2: I don't want to like be in a, uh, you know, like a waymo with no driver. He doesn't even. There's nobody even says to me, hey, you know what? I don't understand black ice. I mean, I'd like to hear it from someone. You know what I mean? Hear that it's dangerous. What do you think? Of that? All right, well, don't get in. Don't get in one when it's really cold. If you're somewhere where it gets cold. Well, there you go.
1: Isn't that the real takeaway of the A block? It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. Booyah Jim! Your integrity makes you
2: the booyah saint of Wall Street.
1: Booyah Jimmy Chill! Booyah Jimmy
2: Chill. Bo- 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 Booyah Jim! Quadruple, that's a lot of booyahs. Eight years ago, Chinese President Xi came to the Obama White House and, according to economists, lied through his teeth when he said that he didn't intend to pursue militarization in the South China Sea. He told us there would be no target or impact. Of course, shortly thereafter, Xi pursued militarization in the South China Sea with target and impact. It was a severe blow and a terrible sign of disrespect to President Obama, who was doing the right thing, trying to get the Chinese to fly right, straighten up, and avoid a catastrophic confrontation. Unfortunately, failed in that goal. China's gone from rival to an adversary. It almost feels like we've got a new Cold War against them. At least that's how I feel after seeing the Chinese government reportedly go after one of our greatest signs of a good partnership, the relationship between their government and Apple. And it comes right on the heels of Commerce Secretary General Raimondo's measured visit to the dictatorship. Just a normal dictatorship, not a dictatorship of the proletariat. Or even they'd be more supportive of Apple's China-based manufacturing. You know, the People's Liberation Army, it's seen that they can't get the advanced chips from NVIDIA, chips that are a necessity if you want artificial intelligence. China took the first step immediately after Raimondo came back such bad form, just like they did after Xi's visit to Obama eight years ago. The message? They're happy to go further toward Cold War and further away from a healthy, competitive trade partnership. It's not as bad as the original Cold War, at least not yet, but it seems to be getting worse. Oh, and, and at least the Chinese government let Secretary Raimondo visit Shanghai Disney, something we didn't let Soviet Union leader Nikita Khrushchev do in 1959 when we canceled his trip to Disneyland for security reasons. But it's sure going in the wrong direction here. Will China soon ban the wearing of Nikes instead of Antos, the, wait, insisting on Antos instead of Jordans? I mean, even as Nikes are mostly made in China, are we back to a world where you can't show up at the office with a triple-vented cappuccino with skim wet because the homegrown Luckin Coffee's got a pumpkin spice special on for it? The news about China's possibly banning the iPhone in government-sponsored offices was a big deal, especially because so many businesses there are at least partially state-owned. If 100% true, it sends a chilling signal to potential Apple customers. And I think it's also because of artificial intelligence. The U.S. now leads the world in the most important kind of tech there is. And China's not going to relent until it gets the right to buy these chips, along with all the equipment that makes them. Madam Secretary said the Chinese were trying her patience before the trip. At this point, I imagine she doesn't have much patience left. Well, our government fold as usual, I think this time it's different. Romano's not really a hardliner. She's just simply a realist. But she is the Commerce Secretary dedicated to making American industrial might stronger through more investment. Notice I didn't say military might. I said industrial might. Do the Chinese really want to switch negotiations to the Secretary of Defense, not the Secretary of Commerce? Well, the next talk will be about a blockade of Taiwan, something the legendary Morris Chang, the godfather of Taiwan semiconductor, has openly warned about. Sounds like when we blockaded Cuba during the Cuban Missile Crisis, although we had a much better excuse because the Russians wanted to install nuclear weapons 90 miles off the coast of Florida. Of course, all this can be reversed by the Chinese government simply saying there's no hard ban on the iPhone, and Apple's been the best partner we have from the U.S. I don't think, though, that this regime understands how ill-advised it is to take the much-talked-about position. Apple's doing exactly what the Chinese want, buy China for China. What statement does this new policy make? It would be one thing if the phones were made here, but they're made there. Do they really want to cut off their nose despite their face? Do they want Apple to stop making long-range commitments to manufacturing phones in China? They should want the opposite. Look, had this not occurred right after our most heavyweight cabinet official going to China on what surely had to be regarded as a serious attempt to get things on track, I'd just treat it as tit for tat. But the commerce Secretary is going, going to have to respond and do so in a hard-line way. What a botched opportunity to move things in a more diplomatic direction. What a crying shame. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere and I promise try to find it just for you right here at Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now.